A very blessed Christmas to all, and many thanks to Canon Lewis for the kind invitation to come and bring the sermon this morning at this wonderful service. It's a privilege uh, for me and my wife, Faith, to experience Christmas together with all of you. Christmas is a time when we like to look our best, isn't it? Because of the many social engagements that we have. And online shopping is, is all the rage these days. So let me tell you a little story as we begin. Take it with a pinch of salt. So there was a young man, a single man, living with his elderly parents, and he was surfing online as Christmas was approaching for something that would make him look better. And he chanced upon this advertisement that said, Miracle Pills makes you look 30 years younger. He scoffed and he said, what rubbish. But maybe they're just exaggerating. Maybe if it makes me look even three years younger, it might be worth a try. So he placed an order and then he went off for a business trip. When he came back from the business trip, he went and rang the doorbell, expecting his mother or his father uh, to open the door for him. But to his shock, there was a young, attractive lady holding uh, a baby in her arms. And then he thought he got the wrong house. He says, is this my house? Yes, it is my house. Who are you? And the lady said, I'm your mother. <laughs> he said, you're not my mother? She said, son, you know those pills you ordered? <laughs> you remember the miracle pills? Well, they arrived, they delivered it while you were away. And I looked at it and I thought, what's the harm? So I took one and went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up looking like this. He said, that's impossible. And by the way, whose baby is that? She took a deep breath and she said, Son, this is your father. He took two. <laughs> now, I have entitled my sermon today, Falling in Love with Jesus. And I want to bring to our attention three things from the Gospel uh, reading in John 1 that can help us fall in love anew, or for the first time with Jesus. Firstly, by observing the power of Jesus in the beginning. Secondly, by observing the plight of darkness that he saved us from. And by observing the privilege of sonship that he confers on us. So let's look at the first of those three. The power of Jesus in the beginning. The opening verses of John's Gospel can be a little confusing, I admit, because he uses words with double meanings and he uses code words, code words. So today is not the day for heavy theological explanations, so let me summarize the New Testament understanding of God. Christian, Christianity believes that God, or Christianity, is monotheistic, meaning we believe that there is only one God. But this God is a complex unity. There are three persons in this one God. There is God the Father, the first person, God the Son or Jesus, the second person, and God the Holy Spirit, the third person. So uh, as a short form, we say God is Trinity. And Trinity comes from tri-unity. Tri meaning three, and unity meaning one. And the adjective form of Trinity is triune. So we say that our God is a triune God. Now, John's Gospel uses a code name called WORD with a capital W, right? To refer to the second person of the Trinity, namely God the Son, or Jesus. And John also uses the term God in two different senses. In some verses, John is referring to God as the triune God, 
And in other verses, John uh, uses God to refer to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. All right, so let me simplify verses 1 to 4 and verse 14, or paraphrase it, and hopefully uh, John's meaning will become clear. So let me read out the original words of John's Gospel while you look at the paraphrase on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the Word, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, at Christmas, we tend to think about Jesus as a newborn baby, and rightly so. But in a sense, you could say that Jesus was the oldest baby ever born, right? Uh, the prophet Micah, who prophesied about Jesus' birth taking place in Bethlehem centuries before it actually happened, he said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Micah 5.2. Come forth is a reference to birth or origin. And yet Jesus, though he was born as a baby to his mother Mary in Bethlehem, actually came forth from the very beginning, from ancient days, which means he has no beginning. He is the uncreated creator. And I'd like us to think about that for a moment. Jesus, as the uncreated creator, had immense power, royalty, majesty, control, security, comfort, everything that the monarch of the entire universe should be entitled to, he had. And yet, when he came to earth and took on human flesh, he entered into a state of extreme vulnerability, powerlessness, dependence, insecurity, discomfort. Mind you, even if he were born in the royal palace with the best midwives attending to his mother, the most comfortable bed to be laid on, and the highest levels of hygiene available to the society of that day, it would still have been an incredible downward descent from where he was from the beginning on his royal throne. Humans, after all, deliver the most vulnerable offspring compared to all other animal species. But as we know, Jesus' parents were not even able to find a decent room with a decent bed and had to make do in a poorly lit, poorly heated animal stable on grass and mud and hay with appalling hygiene levels, far away from home with not a single family member or midwife to help. Friends, this was a birth no parent would ever wish for their child. Would you agree? Assuming that our God has the power and means to orchestrate any kind of context for the birth of Jesus, what do you think that God was trying to convey by orchestrating the events of Jesus' birth in just such a manner? What does it show us about the character and nature of our God? 
Well, it shows me that God, through Jesus, was identifying with the lowest end of the human spectrum, the poorest of the poor in his birth. He was entering into and experiencing for himself the vulnerability that all human beings partake of. And this, this season of 2022, our hearts go out to the people in Ukraine who are experiencing through the war, extreme vulnerability, displacement from their homes, running from shelter to shelter, short of food and water and warm clothing and heating. Vulnerability. Nobody in the human race needs to feel that they are beneath God's attention and care or that God is in some way too atas, to use a Malay word that means high or high class for them. Most of us, Human beings spend our lives trying to make ourselves less and less vulnerable over time. But God moved in the opposite direction, and He made Himself supremely vulnerable in the birth of His Son. And the realization of His humility, His gentleness, His self-sacrificial love makes me want to fall in love with Him again. How about you? Secondly, let's notice the plight of darkness that Jesus saved us from. John employs the powerful symbols of light and darkness a lot. Light represents life. Darkness, the absence of light, represents the absence of life. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That word overcome strongly implies some sort of battle. So the darkness is not just the absence of light, but it represents evil that is hostile to the light a sinful world in the grip of sin and the devil. Darkness and light in John's gospel represent polar opposites. Darkness represents death and the absence of God. Light represents abundant life in the presence of God. Darkness represents emptiness and hollowness in human relationships. Light represents fullness and love and the blessings of life. Friends, darkness is the universal experience of the human race. No matter who we are, rich or poor, young or old, left-wing or right-wing, regardless of race or language, we are all touched by the darkness of our world. We cannot escape its icy tentacles. Our thoughts, our words and our actions are all, all without exception, infiltrated by darkness. That is why Jesus, when he was a full-grown man, intervened to save us all from darkness. In April 2020, about two and a half years ago, Morina Musisinyana and her three-year-old son, Gideon, were fishing in the Runde River in Zimbabwe. And suddenly, a crocodile came out of the river and attacked Gideon. Morina, when she was interviewed, said that she had to literally pull out her child from the jaws of the crocodile after fighting off the predator. She said that since she was a child, or she had been a child, she had been instructed that in case of a crocodile attack, she should attack the reptile's snout, which is exactly what she did before opening the crocodile's jaws, and the boy uh, amazingly survived. Imagine how that boy would have felt. One moment his world was full of light and enjoyment with his mummy, the next moment darkness closes on him and is about to snuff him out painfully and permanently. Those crocodile jaws are a picture of the darkness of sin and the devil that has every one of us helplessly in its grip without us realizing. 
You don't have to be the worst criminal in the world to be in the grip of sin. Even those who only commit so-called minor sins or respectable sins are in the death grip of sin. Jesus came to have a head-on confrontation with darkness, and the darkness could not overcome him. On Good Friday, the day of his crucifixion, there was a supernatural darkness for three hours before Jesus cried out, It is finished. Jesus prized open the jaws of darkness to save us. But unlike Morina, who helped Gideon escape and managed to escape herself, Jesus helped us escape, but the jaws of death closed on him. Some of you may remember the story in Luke chapter 7 of Jesus being invited to a meal at a Pharisee's house. And while he's reclining at the table, a woman from the village comes in and washes his feet with her tears, wipes them dry with her hair, and then anoints them with perfume. This woman had an unsavory reputation in that village, and the host was rather shocked. Then Jesus remarked to the host, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. What Jesus meant was that the woman was very aware, conscious of her sinful state and how far short of God's righteous standards she fell. So she knew that she was firmly in the jaws of darkness and that Jesus was her only hope of salvation. So she loved him much. But those who think highly of themselves, like that Pharisee who invited Jesus and only commit respectable sins like arrogance, greed, exploitation, hypocrisy, etc., they are likely to delude themselves that they don't need as much forgiveness as those people. So they love Jesus less. My prayer is that none of us here will ever be deluded into thinking that we are good people who only need a little bit of forgiveness, just a little top-up of righteousness, nothing too serious. No, friends, we are all equally in the grip of darkness as that woman at Jesus' feet. And the clearer our grasp of this reality, the greater will be our capacity for loving our Saviour. To quote an excerpt from the Prayer of Confession in the Book of Common Prayer, 1662, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. End quote. Friends, that is a good description of the darkness that Jesus saves us from. Which leads me to my final thought, the privilege of sonship he confers on us. Rescuing us from darkness would already be a fantastic gift, but there's a tragic side to it, which is that some people miss it. Verse 11 explains this tragedy. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is both ironic and tragic. The people who ought to have known and recognized him, his own people, meaning Israel, somehow failed to do so. Some years ago, I watched this reality TV series called Undercover CEO. Anybody watched that before? Yeah? 
And, and it's a series where the big bosses of various large companies with hundreds or even thousands of employees would exchange their power suits for the attire of an average worker in the company, like overalls. And they would turn up for work, uh, acting as though they were new employees. And strangely, their own employees, their own staff, would not recognize them, uh, even though they weren't wearing masks. And what's interesting was, if they knew it was their boss, they would be on their best behavior. But because they didn't recognize the boss, they would let their true colors show. Right? And the boss would gain a lot of insights about the workers, as well as about his own leadership uh, and how he was being perceived. And at the end of the show, there would be a big reveal. And I would love watching the reactions of the employees when they realized that this person that they'd been dealing with was actually the CEO all along. And they were always shocked. Now imagine for a moment, Imagine for a moment if the biggest boss of all, the CEO of the entire universe, came among us looking and dressing like any ordinary guy. I imagine all of us would easily be caught out as well because we're not expecting to meet God. We could walk right past God in the street and not even realize, right? And that's what happened to Israel. But there was a minority of people who were more alert. They understood Jesus' identity and responded to him. Verse 12 to 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It was the minority who did receive him, and to this minority who recognized and trusted in him, Jesus gave the privilege, he conferred the privilege of sonship. So it's like the undercover CEO of the entire universe responded to those people who recognized and trusted by granting them the privilege of becoming his own siblings and having his own father as their heavenly father. So they were previously estranged from God the Father as a result of their sin, disobedience, and rebellion. But now, through no effort on their part, other than recognizing Jesus and trusting him, and with all the heavy lifting done by Jesus at the cross, this privilege minority of people are brought into a new relationship with God. And that is why verse 16 says, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It is unmerited kindness, undeserved favor, unearned privilege. Grace upon grace upon grace. Hallelujah. This relationship with God the Father through Jesus is not a distant, formal, stiff, ritualistic and remote relationship. Rather, it is warm, personal, intimate, dynamic, and encompasses every aspect of our lives, not just when we are in church. You know, when children are, are afraid, especially when uh, it's dark, they often find assurance from their parents' presence with them. Isn't that true? Yeah? Uh, Nikki Gumbel's wife, Pippa Gumbel, once related that when she or her siblings were very young and they were fearful and were crying at night, her father would pick them up and carry them around singing to them, Daddy's got you now. And she still remembers the song and the sense of safety she got being in her father's arms. So when Jesus gave us that gracious, undeserved gift of becoming his family, becoming the children of God, the Father, Father God is now able to hold us close to his heart and sing over us, Daddy's got you now. This is the privilege of sonship, a deep assurance that we matter to God. 
assurance that He is always close to us, assurance that no matter what life throws at us, there is nothing so bad that Father God cannot make it better and work it so that it turns out for our good eventually. Let me conclude. It's easy to fall in love with a baby. Many people are drawn to babies because of how cute and cuddly they are, even if the baby is not their own. And these days, babies even have their own Instagram accounts with large followings. I'm sure you know that, right? Yeah. But for the parents of the baby, it's a different kind of falling in love. I remember when my two daughters were born. As soon as I saw them, as soon as I held them in my arms, I fell head over heels in love. I couldn't stop cuddling them, kissing their cheeks, their foreheads, their tiny little fingers and toes. My wife and I, we would sing lullabies to them. We would change their soiled nappies for them, bathe them, clothe them, uh, bottle feed or breastfeed them, entertain them, rock them to sleep. We would lose sleep for them. We would spend money for them. You know, we would get anxious when they fell sick. We would demonstrate our love for them in very tangible ways. Not just for a short time, but through the years. And our daughters are now 19 and 12. The love hasn't changed. But when it comes to baby Jesus on Christmas Day, I want to suggest that we can all fall in love with him for different reasons. When we realize that this baby descended from absolute power to absolute vulnerability, so as to identify with the poorest and the weakest among us, as well as the strongest and richest and everyone in between, it makes us fall in love. When we discover that we are in the jaws of darkness, sin and death, hurtling towards judgment day with no prospect of a good outcome, and then we see how Jesus prizes us free from those jaws and succumbs to them himself, it makes us fall in love. When we discern that for those of us who trust in Him, this same Jesus connects us with God the Father such that we are now His beloved children and He loves us so much that He watches over us, cares for us, provides for us, protects us like we would our own precious babies. It makes us not just fall in love with Him, but adore Him with our whole being. Jesus started in power, was incarnated into weakness and vulnerability, took on the ultimate battle against darkness and was finally victoriously reunited with God the Father while also connecting us to the family of the Trinity. Wow. Wow. So friends, I invite you to open your heart fully to the most lovable person in the world. Open your heart to Jesus and ask Him to come into your life or come afresh into your life. Forgive you of all your sins. Fill you with his presence. Place you on a trajectory towards eternity in heaven. Please would you close your eyes and join me. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Sing together. Oh, come, let us adore.
one more time. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore 